0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Breakdown podcast. In this podcast, we will be breaking down the Bible one chapter a day. Whether you are a new believer or have been following Christ for a while, we believe that you will learn something new and fresh every single day. So thank you for joining us, and let's get into breaking down the Bible together. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Gospel of Luke. Man, I am so excited to do this. If you've been with us, we just got through finishing up the book of Leviticus, and we didn't die. (laughs) Now we know what skin diseases to look out for. We know who to not have sex with. And we also realize that sacrificing animals is disgusting. And we made it, and we're so thankful for Jesus. And so many of you told me that you were encouraged by Just going through God's Word together, just reading it together. And when I asked you if I were to take the time out to do the Gospel of Luke, I was so excited to hear many of you say, maybe, (laughs) maybe you would actually take this journey with me. And hey, maybe is enough for me because you don't need a lot to convince me to read the Bible. I I enjoy it. I love it. And if I can in some way cause you to be even semi-interested in the Bible, I feel like I've done my job. So that's what we're going to do. I want you to get this mental picture with me that you and I are sitting at a coffee table, got our cup of coffee, or if you don't drink coffee, you've got your tea. If you don't drink tea, you've got your hot chocolate. If you don't drink your hot chocolate, I don't even want to know you. Okay, fine. <laughs> but whatever it is that you've got, you, you've got that there. And we just are reading God's Word together. And I want you to think of me as kind of your Bible tour guide. That along the way, I just point out things. Go, man, isn't this interesting? Isn't isn't that confusing? Whatever it is, and we just go through God's Word and just celebrate, maybe geek out on it a little bit. And here's my hope, is that as we read God's Word together and just explore it together, that it makes you not only excited about God's Word and maybe shows you something you didn't know before, but maybe it even gives you maybe some ideas about you could do your own study. Go further into some things, because here's the thing I know about God's Word, is the more we dig, the more we find. It's so true, especially when it comes to the Gospel of Luke. So here we go. I want to get started. I want to give you some intro about the Gospel of Luke. And then I want us to jump into this because it's so good. But let me also give you one small disclaimer about the Gospel of Luke. And that is this. Luke writes a lot. He's got a lot to say, and for good reason. But I say that to say in some of the chapters in Leviticus, there's like 10, 12 verses. L- Luke, Luke, he had plenty of ink in his ink pen man there's like 80 verses in chapter one so i'm gonna take a deep breath i'm not gonna have a voice when this is done but it's gonna be fine it's gonna be great all right so i want you to get your nlt bible out get ready to read but let me give you like the synopsis of the intro of why it's so important so i want to kind of do a thought experiment with you as we get into this so maybe you'll understand how to kind of frame and how to think about the gospel of luke because luke was the investigative journalist of his time. Okay. Here, here's, here's the idea. Let me give you, um, maybe can make this illustration work. Imagine you 9 know, 11, September 11th, 2001. The planes hit the trade towers. It was a devastating, ex- devastating experience, devastating thing to see on TV. It was, it was horrible. There are so many people that I know who were alive during that time who can remember exactly where they were when the trade towers were hit. By those two airplanes. Everybody was all over the world watching it in real time. But now imagine with me that even though people were seeing it in real time, there was no video archive of the event. So everyone who saw it, whether on the news or whatever, they saw it that day, they saw it. But after that, there was no video evidence to prove that it ever happened. So for the first two or three years, no one would need video evidence. People could tell you right where they were and exactly what happened when something Just life changing happened right in front of them. It was devastating. It was horrible. Well, five years go by, ten years go by, fifteen years go by from that moment, and what starts to happen is now people who hear it secondhand knowledge, who weren't actually there, they start changing it up a little bit. They start saying, "You know, actually, I don't think it was a plane that hit the towers. I think it was a bomb that went off." No, no, that's not right. Well, how do you know? Were you there? Well. I don't know that it was just a couple of towers that were hit. I think it was 10 towers that were hit. Well, that's not true. Well, how do you know? Were you there? Well, I don't know that it was in New York. I actually think that it was in New Hampshire somewhere. And before you know it, things start to change and things start to just kind of move around. And you know that a lot of that's not true, but you want to make sure you know what the truth is. And so what do you do if you want to know what the truth is? Well, you investigate. You send someone who knows what they're doing. You you send an investigative journalist to go and to find out what is true And what is not true, so you can get back to the source material. Like, this is actually what happened. It would have been really good if they'd kept those video archives. They didn't. So we got the next best thing. We're going to go investigate and figure out what that was. Well, that's exactly what the Gospel of Luke is. Luke was an investigative journalist of his time. He was a doctor by trade, but he was commissioned by a guy named Theopolis. If you're looking for any names to name your newborn son, might I suggest you not use Theopolis, okay? <laughs> but, but he was a doctor, but was commissioned to go and investigate the claims about Jesus. And he wrote his gospel around 30 years after the life of Jesus. After Jesus had rose from the dead and went back to heaven, it was about 30 years later. So it's just about 10 years more than what happened at 9-11 from the time of this recording. So only at 10 more years, that's how long ago those things had happened And they didn't, some of the stories were starting to go, okay, was this true? Was that true? And so Luke was sent to find out what the truth was. Now, Luke was not one of the original 12 disciples. He was most likely not Jewish, but once again, he was a doctor and he was most likely a traveling companion for quite a while with the Apostle Paul. We know this because Luke also wrote wrote the book of Acts. And he even talks about his journeys with the Apostle Paul. And that's really good because the Apostle Paul got beat up, like a lot. like he, he almost died several times. And so he needed a doctor close to him at all times. And a lot of historians think that it was probably while Paul was imprisoned in Rome that Luke meets this guy Theopolis. And eventually, he is commissioned to write the Gospel of Luke. And then eventually, the Acts of the Church. The Acts uh, that we now have at the end, after the book of John. We think that also what happened to Luke is after Luke writes the, the Gospel of Luke and eventually the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, that he eventually moves to a Greek city called Thebes, and he dies at eight, the age of 84. So he most likely was not martyred. He died of old age after writing all of these. And once again, this Gospel is like part one of the book of Acts. It was written around 60 AD, so little less, about 27, 28 years after uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And the purpose of writing this was also to write it in chronological order. Now, the reason why that was important is because at this point, the Gospel of Mark had already been written. You know, it had been written, it was already starting to circulate around, but the Gospel of Mark did not necessarily have everything in exact chronological order. It was more about the big moments in Jesus' life. And what Luke was commissioned to, to do by Theopolis was to write it and to write it in an orderly chronological account. And so what Luke actually does is as an investigative journalist and having his background as a doctor, he goes and he interviews all these different people and he validates the stories and he collects them like a detective, like an investigative journal would do. And what he's doing is is he's doing it to prove if what the apostles said was true so he could give hope to Theopolis. It's also the longest gospel of the four gospels. In this, you're going to see that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And so if we were to really sum up the Gospel of Luke into one phrase, it would be Jesus as the Son of Man. And this phrase comes from, first of all, the the Old Testament book of Daniel, where he says that one day the Son of Man was going to come. It was a a reference to the Messiah was going to come. But also the Son of Man means that God with his people. And that's where you see, on one hand, you see Jesus as the Messiah, as the Word made flesh, the visible representation of the invisible God, but also as God with His people. And you see that all throughout the Gospel of Luke. And so we're going to jump into this now. It really, you can see that chapter one is in mainly three different sections. First, you have the introduction, which is going to talk about what I just said. And then you're going to have how John the Baptist's parents. Like, super old priests are told that, hey, you're going to have a kid. I hope you weren't planning your retirement. And then it's going <laughs> to, then the angel is going to go talk to like a 13 year old girl and tell her she's going to have a baby as well. So, immediately, stuff's going to get wild in the book of Luke. And you can imagine, as a doctor, Luke is like eating this up. He's like, what? <laughs> you know, so here we go. Gospel of Luke, chapter one, verse one, let the journey begin. Here we go. The Bible says, verse one. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theopolis, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So what he's saying here is, is, hey, Theo, You were taught by the apostles. Likely he was taught by either Peter or Paul. But just like I was saying earlier about what would happen if 9-11 had not been recorded, as time had passed, there were some of these conflicting reports coming around. So Luke is sent into Judea, sent back to where Jesus had lived, and to then confirm so once again, you can see the Gospel of Luke as an investigative journalist going and reporting this. And this is so huge because if any of these stories weren't true, were not true, that there would have been easy for people to say, hey, that's not true. That wasn't Zacchaeus that was in a tree. That wasn't Jairus' daughter that was healed. I can prove that. I can prove So instead, he went and he looked at it and he wrote it down. Here we go. Verse number five. This is going to talk about the birth of John the Baptist as is foretold by the angel. Verse 5, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Baja, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Pause. How would you like God to call you very old? <laughs> like, rude. I don't. The Bible doesn't really say how old they were, but if they're very old, they probably are knocking on death's door. Okay, like they're super old. Here we go. Verse 8 says, One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right of the incense altar. Pause. That would have been an amazing thing because the right-hand side was a symbol of authority. And so in that moment, he would have known it was an angel of the Lord, and he would not have known for sure if that was coming as a message or as judgment. So he would have been like um, extremely terrified. And the Bible says that. It says in verse 12, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you will name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who were rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Pause. Now what Zechariah would have understood is this was a messianic prophecy of the one who was going to come before the Messiah to declare the coming Messiah. So he would have immediately realized that this baby was going to be special and that he was going to be ushering in the time of the Messiah. So pretty powerful stuff. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man and my wife is also well along in years. Okay, I had to laugh there because imagine this. Okay, imagine this. You're in the temple. An angel, an an angel that is so big that he terrified you, says, hey, Joker, you're going to have a baby. And your question is, prove it. (laughs) You're asking him to prove it. Okay, Zechariah is not also old. He is also, um, I, I don't know. He, he's, uh, he's dangerous, okay? I don't trust Zechariah anymore. Verse 19, the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will, be, will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Don't mess with angels. Okay, verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. And when they he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have had a vision in the sanctuary. Can you imagine what his gestures might have been? Just basically the look of terror on his face. All right, verse 23. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon after, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant, and he went in, they went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. So, as you can see what happened, they were both priests. It was their turn to go to the tabernacle. They go to the tabernacle, and Angel just blows him up with news. And then Zechariah says, hey, super cool angel, prove it. He's proven it by taking his voice away. It reminds me of like Ariel in A Little Mermaid. You, You lose your voice because you couldn't just say, yes, sir, and like, thank you. Like, just say thank you, okay? But then Elizabeth becomes pregnant, and she secludes herself for five months. The Bible doesn't tell us. I got no idea why she did that, but she did. All right, here we go. Verse 26, Gabriel is super busy. Now he's on his way to Nazareth to talk to a young lady named Mary. Here we go. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. I love this. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think about what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked a question too, but notice, she didn't ask the angel to prove it. This is what she said in thirty-four, verse 34. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. So in other words, she didn't say prove it. She was just like, but I'm not equipped to make this happen. That's a much different question, right? The angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth will become pre- has become pregnant uh, in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the Word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Don't you love that? Like you notice the difference. Zechariah, doubtful, prove it. Mary wasn't doubtful at the angel. She was doubtful of herself. How can I do this thing? And you notice the very different response from the angel. One is, hey Joker, you didn't, you didn't just believe me. You're gonna to have to get disciplined for that. For Mary, it's, hey, don't you worry about that. God's going to take care of it. He's going to give you everything you need to do everything he's called you to do. I think that's amazing. All right, here we go. Verse 39. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women. And your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord would visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy, and you are blessed because you believe the Lord would do what he said. Now, the one thing I want to say about this before we move on is between those two things is probably where she told Joseph. According to putting the different gospels together, the angel Gabriel most likely left Mary, and then after that, Mary would have told Joseph and then got out of town. (laughs) That's when she would have left and went to be with Elizabeth for a little while. And while Elizabeth is gone, that's when Gabriel, yet again, he is super busy, goes and he talks to Joseph. Okay, here we go. Let's finish this up. The Bible says in verse 46, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear Him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their homes and exalted the the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He sent the rich away with empty hands. And He has helped His servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For He made His promises to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home, mainly to let Joseph cool off. Now, here's the birth of John the Baptist, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. And when the baby was eight years old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What, they exclaimed? There is no one in your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and for everyone's, to everyone's surprise, he wrote, His name is John. Can we pause for a moment? Why were they gesturing to the baby's father? Have you thought about that? He wasn't deaf. He just couldn't speak. So I've always been so curious about that. But for some reason, I wonder if it's like, you know, sometimes when, you really can't hear people. You start to use your hands as though using your hands is going to make that any better. So they're like waving at him. And then finally, they were, He was. I just have this picture of like Zechariah rolling his eyes going, I can hear you. I just can't speak. But the Bible says, when he said his name was John, verse 64, instantly Zechariah could speak again and he began praising God. All fell upon the whole neighborhood and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him. Verse 67, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through the holy prophets long ago. Now, We will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies, and we can serve our God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. Verse 76, we're almost done. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way of the Lord. He will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. Now, the last thing I'll say about this, and we'll finally finish this really long first chapter. The reason why John lived in the wilderness is most likely because John's parents died at an early age. They were already old, and by the time we see John, as he is in ministry at the age of 30, he no longer has his parents in the picture. What many historians think is that during that time, there was a group of Jewish people called the Essenes. That's S-E-S-S-E-N-E-S, the Essenes. And they were a separatist group of people that lived out in the wilderness, and they were calling for the nation of Israel to return to their roots and to prepare for the coming of the Son of Man. They were, they were looking at that, and they were seeing it as an apocalyptic thing. And isn't it interesting that when we find John the Baptist, he is living in the wilderness, and he is using that same thing. And so what we, most historians think is that he ended up becoming an orphan. And he moved out and he joined this separatist group. And there he learned about how to preach the gospel and how to preach the coming of the end time. So there's the end of chapter one. It's a long chapter, but I'm curious what you took away from that. I love the difference between Zechariah and Mary when they received just amazing words from God. Zechariah was saying, prove it. And it didn't work out for him <laughs> too well. Mary was saying, I don't know that I can prove it. I don't know if I can do it. And God says, you don't have to. All you have to do is be willing to obey and take the next step. And that's a wonderful message for all of us. Many times, God will ask us to move into seasons and situations that are uncomfortable or difficult for us. He doesn't ask us to do it, He just asks us to walk with Him as He does it through us. I'm curious what you got out of this. If you got anything out of this, I want you to comment on this video below or you know, share it with somebody, put it, post it somewhere. Let's go through God's Word together and just see what we find because the more we dig, the more we find. I'll see you next time for Luke. Chapter 2.